0: I'm kind of picking up where Pastor Katie left off last week at the end of the book. Um, it's Revelation and selected verses from uh, chapters 21 and 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of their nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night they need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever this is the word of god for us the people of god thanks be to god what a beautiful vision i mean what a beautiful vision in our popular Christian culture, when revelation is mentioned, most thoughts go to judgment. It's the apocalypse, right? It's, it's the end and there's this judgment and there's a lot of destructive images. There's a lot of images, period. The revelation image of the rider on the white horse with fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand is probably the, the revelation image that I've heard the most In my life, I've heard images like that one and and other uh, images of judgment from the book far more than I've heard this image of this new Jerusalem, this beautiful, beautiful vision of this holy, holy place. With that said, the concluding vision, the the final vision of Revelation, the, the final vision of the entire book is that of this new Jerusalem. There's a great high mountain, river of life, tree of life. It's a peaceable kingdom where nations are healed. It's a place of of light, a place of life, a place where there is only holiness. And it's a place where people can see the face of God. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. In John of Patmos' prophetic announcement of, of his vision, there's one verse that, that grabs my attention, and that is the 27th verse of Revelation 21. There he says of this new Jerusalem, this, this heavenly paradise, that nothing unclean will enter it, nothing unclean, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood. You see, because this place where people are enabled to see the face of God is by its nature holy, nothing unholy can enter it. This reality led one commentator to remark something along the lines of, New Jerusalem, population one, one God, three in one. After all, nothing unholy can enter. Of course, we go on to read that only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be allowed to come in. So knowing that we are all sinful, it is only the Lamb who makes it possible for us to be made holy. It is only by grace and the blood of the Lamb that we can even come into contact with this paradise, much less enter. It is only because of the lamb. C.S. Lewis wrote this masterpiece of a book called The Great Divorce. He wrote this book in response to another writer who had suggested that heaven and hell were two places on the same side of the coin. And so Lewis says, "Nah, actually because humans have free will and choice, they can't be on the same side of the coin. They, they, they've, got to be, they've got to be divorced from one another. And so that's why he writes The Great Divorce. However, the hell that Lewis envisions is a place far less populated than many of us would like to think. and We are hopeful that he is right. The population of Greytown, as it is known, is small, population is small, and the place is small. There it is constantly raining, and it is always twilight. And oddly enough, the gates to Graytown are locked from the inside. And every so often, this bus driver enters into Greytown, and this bus driver is dazzling white, and he drives with his face covered. He wants to make sure that the residents... Of Greytown are unable to see his face. But this bus driver enters into Greytown and he picks up and takes any of the residents there to heaven for kind of like a field trip. So they can go to heaven and they can see what it's like and then maybe, just maybe, they'll decide that they want to stay. So the, dra- the dazzling bus driver arrives and the bus takes offline and the bus is only about half full. And the Greytown residents, they, they bicker back and forth and they moan about this and that because that is the common practice for residents of Graytown, grumbling. So uh, the grumbling continues all the way until they enter into this paradise, this heavenly city. And C.S. Lewis describes it just as John of Patmos described it in, in Revelation. There are great high mountains. There are crystal flowing waters. There are trees of life abundant. Everything is bright. Everything is beautiful. And everything is solid. And one by one, the passengers on the bus are approached by different dazzling white residents of heaven. The dazzling white residents of heaven, they differ greatly from the spirits from Greytown. The Greytown folks are kind of ghostly, whereas the heavenly residents, they're, they're solid. They, they're, they're in their body. And So these residents approach the, the, the bus passengers one by one, and they try to persuade them to stay in heaven. Sometimes it's a family member who comes, or a co-worker, or maybe somebody famous that they admired. These persuaders in the valley of the shadow of life, they tell the residents of hell things like um, repent, believe, things that we're used to hearing, right? Come into the joy of your master, believe. You will see the face of God. Familiar words. The person sent to persuade the book's narrator informs him as he's telling him to believe that all who inhabit hell choose to. After all, free will and choice are a thing. He says to the book's narrator that in the end, there are those who will say to God, Thy will be done, and there will be those to whom God says, Thy will be done. And we can guess who resides in Greytown and who resides in heaven based off of who is saying, Thy will be done. And this teacher says that for the lost souls, it is better to reign in hell than to serve in the heaven. That for these lost souls, there is always something that they insist on keeping, even at the price of misery there is always something that they prefer to joy. And throughout the book, there are these encounters where we see what the lost prefer to hold on to as opposed to joy. And these are familiar things to us. Again, pride, self-righteousness, greed, cynicism, conceit, constant grumbling, materialism, and lust, and the story of the ghost who, who did not want to go, let go of, of his lust is an interesting one because his lust had a, a physical presence. And it was in the form of a little red lizard on his shoulder. And, and the lizard was always whispering to him, always whispering. And an angel of the Lord, while he's on his little field trip to the heavens, approaches this, this ghost, this gray town resident with the, the lizard, and the angel offered to kill the lizard. He offered to kill the lizard because that's the one thing that this man was holding on to that was keeping him from entering into the presence of God. And so this, this man ghost, like many of us, he, he wanted to be rid of the lizard. Like he didn't want to be burdened by it anymore, but he was afraid for the lizard to be no more because it had been such a part of him for so long. And so the, the angel of the Lord says, the lizard must die. And the man says, no, it, it can't die. It can't die. No, the lizard must die. Well, I'm afraid that if, if you kill this part of me, I will die completely. And the angel says, no, it's going to hurt quite a bit, but it's not going to kill you. And the ghost says, well, why don't you just kill it then? If it's so important that, that this dies, why seek my permission if it is for my own good? And the angel says, because you have to have some say in the matter. So finally, the ghost cries out, kill him already. And the angel, no blessing for that critter. And immediately, because of the death of the lizard, because of the death of this man's lust, transformation happens. The ghostly body begins the process of being made solid. And, And he... He starts, to, he starts to shine. And as for the, the dead lizard of lust, for some reason, I don't know what C.S. Lewis was thinking, but he turns into a stallion. It's the greatest stallion that you would ever see. Holiness transforms them. Holiness overcomes them, and they are transformed as a result. All because... The lizard died. The part of the man that he just he, he couldn't let go of, the, the part that was keeping him from experiencing true joy. It became no more. he started to shine. So what is your lizard? What needs to die in you so that you may shine, so that you may live? Remember, nothing unclean can fully enter. Repent, believe, and you will see the face of God. The beautiful thing about what God has done in Christ Jesus is that we don't have to wait for grace to transform us later. Grace can actually transform us now. The kingdom of God, as we understand it, is both a now and a not yet reality. And the expectation is that in the now, we, as a forgiven and spirit-filled and beloved people, would do well to clean up as much as we can in this life. We don't have to wait for an angel to kill off our lizards. We can begin the process of transformation now. The expectation is, and it is well stated many, many times throughout Scripture, the expectation is that we repent from our sinful ways of being so that we can be more like the one who drives the bus. Not just later, but also now. Friends, there will be a day, there will be a day where we stand at the foot of a great high mountain. There will be a day when the crystal waters flow by. There will be a day when we are healed by the nurturing fruit of the tree of life. That day will come. But in the meantime, there is still right now. And right now is not idle time right now, matters. So what's your lizard? Grace is at work in our lives right now. Grace is at work in the lives of each and every one of us. And that grace is always pushing us further and further into the light, but the painful part, the painful part is sometimes along the way of grace, some parts of us need to be done away with, and it's for our own good, because nothing unclean can enter, the unclean parts must die away. I want you to hear this clearly if you hear nothing else today hear this good news friends death is something that happens in life it's not something that happens to life the Lamb of God has made it so let us pray God, we give you thanks that death, in whatever form it presents itself, be it a cleansing death or be it what feels like an ultimate death, we give you thanks that it's just something that happens in life and not something that happens to life. We thank you for the lamb. We thank you for our free will and our ability to choose. We thank you for that transformational grace that is always at work pushing us further and further into the light. We pray this in all things, in the name of the Lamb, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and all God's people say, Amen.